Give me a beat. Thank you for pushing play. You are listening to the Ray Ray is Fundamental Podcast, episode 70. I'm not sure if I believe in curses, but... Internet. This is the Ray Ray is Fundamental Podcast, episode 70, recorded on January the 18th, 2017, brought to you by RayRay.net and the Happy Hour Network. My name is Ray Morali, also known as Ray Ray. And as you very well know, I am an NBA online writer, so all this podcast will be about the NBA, but I talk about whatever I want, whether it's other sports, movies, TV, music, video games, life. Whatever I want. Basically, the fundamentals of life, and this is why this podcast is fundamental. We're going to keep it basketball for this podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk to Mick Minas, the author of The Curse, which basically outlines the rich, well, not really rich history of the Los Angeles Clippers. And for a special treat for you guys that listen to my previous podcast, you guys remember the Chronicles of Karate, uh, Peter Kim is going to join me to co-host this podcast since he's a huge Clippers fan, as we ask Mick uh, questions about the, about his book, about the Clippers, just basically, you know, just having a good old chat about the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, before we get started, just let me remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can also download the show on Stitcher and RayRay.net, and remember that this show is being syndicated by the Happy Hour Network. Follow the podcast Twitter at RayRayIsFun, and follow me on Twitter at TheNoLookPass. So, let's not delay it any further. Here's Peter and I talking to McMinus, the author of The Curse. Scratch. Ray Ray is Fundamental Podcast, episode number 70. I'm Ray Ray. This is a kind of a special episode because I'm reuniting with my old friend, uh, old uh, co-podcaster from the old Chronicles of Karate podcast at TheNoLookPass.com. Peter Kim, man. How's it going? It's been a while. Yes, it's good to be back. It's been, I don't know, it's been a couple years now. Yeah, I know, because we've been all over the place. I know you've been doing your thing, I've been doing my thing, so... But it's good to uh, reunite for this podcast in this special episode as um, we welcome our guest, author of The Curse, simply known as The Curse, but basically it's a... Uh, the colorful and chaotic history of the L.A. Clippers, because we know how long this franchise has been cursed practically our entire lives, basically. Um, he's the author of the book. Um, Mick Minas, how's it going, man? Yeah, good, good. Yeah, so, um, we want to get to know you a little bit first, um, what's your background? Did you play basketball? Uh, I know you, I know you mentioned on your body that you coach. Yeah, so, um, I, uh, played for, you know, a number of years down here in Australia and also coached, um, for most of my sort of adult life and, um, yeah, and, that, and that's how I sort of came to. That's how I sort of came to write the book. I was in um, California um, with a team that I had over there that we were co- that was traveling around America, um, playing for a few weeks, and that's how I sort of came to sort of um, become infatuated with the Clippers, I guess. <laughs> you you weren't a fan of the team. You just got you just basically got fascinated with them. Yeah, I mean, I. 
I mean, like growing up in Australia, I guess kind of NBA fandom here is a little bit different than um, if you if you live in a in a city in America that you know is home to an NBA team. Um, so I mean, when I grew up, um, I mean, I grew up sort of you know loving the NBA, but sort of you know you, you go from team to team a little bit more here because you don't live in a place, you're not going and attending games and. Um, you know, with the, with the way the players move around from team to team, it's sort of hard to develop. I guess it's, I, I think it's harder for an overseas fan to develop sort of loyalty for one particular team. Um, and we, we, we went to see the Clippers because we were in LA, um, on opening night and, um, Baron Davis had just, um, had just signed with the team and mm-hmm. a of people, including myself, were really big Baron Davis fans. So we're really excited about the prospect of going and seeing him play. And it just so turned out that the that the Clippers got blown out in that game by 38 points, and um, yeah, and and so it was kind of shocking in a way because you know you expect to see blowouts in the NBA, but I mean blowouts tend to happen more in the middle of a season, at the you know at the end of a long road trip, or when teams are dealing with injuries. I think it's fairly rare to see a team lose by you know, almost 40 points on opening night. And that sort of that sort of took us all by surprise. Yeah, that that season, I mean, that off-season, actually, because I remember Peter being really excited about getting Darren Davis on the team. And then, of course, we know what happened. Ellen Brand leaves, so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, go ahead, Peter. Yeah, so uh, what sort of drew you, drew you to the Clippers, other than being L.A.? Was there, like... For me, there's the the anti Lakers sort of feeling of it. <laughs> so, uh, how was that experience for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I knew I knew um, a fair bit about the history of the franchise before I started work on the book, and I knew that there was um, I knew that there was a lot of really interesting players and personalities and coaches, and I guess um, I, I mean. A, the NBA sort of tends, it's very heavily based around promoting, you know, certain franchises and certain players. And, and, and because there's that sort of focus on particular teams, um, it, it tends to be that, that, that the rest of the league sort of plays in the shadows a little bit. And I think if you, if you look back at the Clippers prior to Chris Paul arriving, I mean, they were very much a team that just played in the shadows of the Lakers. And, I think because of that, a lot of really great, interesting stories um, people don't get to know about because there's so much focus on the Celtics, the Lakers, the Knicks, the Bulls, the Spurs, and and because there's so much focus on those franchises, the the, the league's other franchises get get a lot less spotlight put on them. So take us through the process of writing this book because. Uh, in the glossary, or basically, or the end of the book, you mentioned a lot of names. You went through a lot of names. You went through a lot of books. Like, how long did that take you? That's a lot of research right there. I applaud you for that. Yeah. So I worked on this for um, for more for over five years. Uh, wow. Yeah, and um, and so and and when I started, I mean, I started before the lockout. Um, I started just before the lockout happened. Um, right. So when I started, Blake was there, but, you know, there was no Chris Paul. And so the Clippers at that time were a very different franchise than what they are today. Um, and, I, I mean, I started with sort of the existing knowledge that I had about the franchise from the, the, 
my own experience as a fan and my own reading and and then from there I did a lot of a lot of um, a lot of reading of um, old articles so a lot of digging up old stories um, trying to find sort of what were the sort of interesting narrative points in the history of the franchise and that took me you know like we're talking a number of years to sort of get through you know it's over it's over three decades worth of history there um, and then from there, the next stage was to, to conduct as many interviews as I could. And so I tried to sort of cast the net as wide as possible and speak to, um, you know, obviously players and coaches, but also try to speak spoke, speak to other people who worked for the franchise, um, you know, whether that was in a you know, front office personnel capacity or, um, you know, working behind the scenes as trainers or, or whatnot. Um, and then, the, and then the then the process was sort of putting that all together into um, a cohesive narrative um, that wasn't, you know, um, that w- one of the biggest challenges I had was trying to sort of um, trim back the amount of content that I had into to make it into sort of a, um, a manageable length. Um, that was right. sort of, that was one of the more challenging aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know we talked about this briefly, but um, one of my favorite personal books is uh, The Breaks of the Game. And I know you mentioned that at, towards the end of the book so that uh, as one of the resources. Um, so when, after reading that book and seeing how interconnected the Portland franchise was uh, with the Clippers, like, how was that uh, reporting on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, Peter. The Breaks of the Game has always been one of my um, favorite books. And I think it's, um, it, it's sort of been... Um, uh, the the sort of blueprint for a lot of sports books that have come in that in that time since there, where um, somebody spends a writer spends you know a, a season with the team and gets to know the players really intimately um, and and just reports on what actually happens in the course of that season. And I think one of the things that makes the breaks of the game really interesting is is that it's not a season where I mean maybe when um, when David started off following the Blazers, maybe he was hoping that the team was going to have a successful year because at that time Portland was one of the premier franchises in the NBA. But the thing that was really interesting about that season was that it, it was kind of a mediocre run-of-the-mill season where Portland just scraped into the playoffs and, you know, they, they were neither they neither bottomed out or, or had this, you know, great playoff success. They were just kind of a middle-of-the-road team. But as a as a fan, it was really interesting reading and seeing all the different things that that go into a season, and and just into an ordinary season, let alone one, let alone like you know a championship season or something like that. So that book was um was has always been one of my personal favourites. Um yeah, and and I think it um it it sort of it, it, as whilst it's a book predominantly about the Portland Trailblazers, there is a lot of because of the Bill Walton connection. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, about the San Diego Clippers as well, and that was helpful for me in sort of putting together some of those earlier seasons when the franchise was first sort of born in San Diego. Coming into this, did you think you were going to write a book? And then when you thought of this, like, did you think about writing for any other franchise? Because obviously the Clippers have a lot of interesting stories, but, you know, each team has an interesting story. Did you just think, oh, I'm going to just write about the Clippers? Yeah, that's a, that's a good that's a good question. That uh, a lot of um, uh, I've had a lot of people since the book's been out. I've had a lot of people contact me who've read it and said, "Oh, I've really enjoyed it. You should write a book about 
the Utah Jazz, or you know, you should write a book about. I mean, Portland would be another really good franchise to write a book about. And, right. and that was, I mean, as I said before, that was one of my that was one of my sort of motivating factors was that I knew that there was all these great stories there, and I knew that they hadn't um, they hadn't been told properly in sort of a substantive book. And 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 I'm I don't know about you guys, but like I'm someone who really enjoys reading about the game of basketball as much as as much as I enjoy watching it. I really enjoy reading, um, you know, basketball biographies and and books like Breaks of the Game where whether you know a writer follows a team for a season and 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 what what's come come up with me is that you read some of these books and you hear some of the same stories again and again in in different books. I mean, there's been so many different books written about the 1970s Knicks or the 1990s Bulls or Michael Jordan or and and so the, and you know and and then another really good example of a franchise that's had a lot of coverage is the Lakers and so. Because those teams and those plays have had so many different authors attempt to write books about them, often some of the stories uh, sort of overlap between the different books. Um, so I think that um, there are plenty of franchises that there would be... I mean, it's it's amazing to think that there hasn't been more written about the San Antonio Spurs in the last 20 years. Um, right. But I think there'd be many franchises that, that would be worthy of uh, somebody taking the time to, to do a project like this, um, when I started, I, I, I don't think I, I don't think I don't think there was actually a point where I said I'm going to write a book about the Clippers. I think it was more a, a gradual sort of realization that that was something that I wanted to do. So when we arrived back from the from the trip to the states um, in Australia, it just started as um, me. First, I went on. First, I went online and I tried to find a book about the Clippers, and then I realised well, one didn't exist. And then I, <laughs> yeah. And so then, I mean, and then, but then from that point, it wasn't like I decided well, I'm going to write one. Then I just started doing some reading myself. Not, not this wasn't at the stage of researching for the book. This was just out of my own interest, trying to fill in some of the gaps with some of the things I knew and some of the things I didn't know about the franchise. And it was after sort of maybe maybe six months or so of that, of me and another friend who I who was on the team that travelled to California with us, we would both sort of send each other articles and, and, and whatever. And it was about six months in that sort of the realisation slowly dawned that, hey, this, there could actually be a book in this and this would be something that would be um, worth pursuing. Yeah, so you, you mentioned that you conducted so many interviews and I know like there's several times throughout the book where you say depending on whose side you hear um, you know, there was a couple of specific instances, like the, the Von Harper contract negotiation, and the list goes on. Uh, how difficult was it to sort of report on these different sides um, of these stories? Yeah, I mean, I guess one of the difficulties is um, uh, so many of the, so much of of uh, Clipper history is intertwined with Donald Sterling. Um, so, you know, so I mean, he's he was the owner for for thirty three years, and um, and so so many of those so many of those kind of um, grey areas would rely on you having that first person conversation with Donald to be able to definitively say one way or the other. Now, I mean, I, I, I attempted to to do an interview with Donald, and that didn't go anywhere. Which which didn't um, surprise me, um, <laughs> but um, um, I guess you can draw your own conclusion from. I mean, if 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 you have um, 
if you have uh, um, the same person's name coming up time and time again in, in, in these sort of situations where it's a he, sh- he said, she said kind of thing, I mean, you can draw your own conclusion as to as to whose opinion that you believe. But, I mean, I spoke to a lot... There's lots of things that I couldn't put in the book for legal reasons, conversations I had with people where they told me things and I took them to be truthful. I mean, I, I believe them to be truthful, but, you know, not having... And in some instances, there were things that were legally protected as part of um, agreements that had been made in out-of-court settlements and stuff. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the sort of um, the sterling effect on the franchise is, is sort of very well known, particularly amongst people like yourselves that live in Los Angeles and are fans of the team and, and, that, and that sort of know firsthand the impact that he's had on the franchise over the years. Hey there, this is Serena Winters of LakersNation.com, and you're listening to the Ray Ray is Fundamental podcast. How's your health after writing this book? Because this has got to be really stressful, and you read all, the, and then you wrote all these crazy, crazy stories that you put in the book. Like, is this got to got to take a toll on you, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's um, look, it's it's probably more, it's probably more, uh, um, you know, it's a lot of work, but it's probably more, um, it's probably a better question to ask my wife. I mean, because <laughs> you know, we have we have two young kids, and and there's a lot of um, a lot of uh. A lot of hours spent on this that that is then drawn away from the family, and and so a lot of a lot of um, a lot of the sort of uh, credit for the, for the book being finished and the amount of time that I was able to spend on it goes to her because, you know, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's funny like you talk to other authors and it's kind of like a thing where people say you know if you haven't written a book it's it's hard to sort of appreciate what it actually takes to do it. When I started, I never imagined it would take five and a half years. Um, but once I and that was partly that was partly to do with my um, sort of uh, being naive about the process, but it was also partly to do with how much things changed and evolved in that five year period. But yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a big it's a very big um, commitment to make. Yeah, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Peter. Yeah, so sort of speaking on that as well. Uh, when you're going through all of these different things in the history, uh, one of my favorite parts, but also one of the parts that almost made me shed a tear, was on page 146 when you go through the potential lineups that the Clippers could have had, and <laughs> you mentioned in the starting five, it could have been Brad Doherty. Tom Chambers, Charles Barkley, Ricky Pierce, and Byron Scott. I mean, there has been so many times where the Clippers just sort of bumbled it. Like, how many times did you go through and, and sort of uh, do the alternate universe Clippers lineup thing? Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's a. Um, I mean, and, and one of the things, Peter, I think is that I mean that that lineup that I sort of talk about. That's that takes into that the building of that team would have come in the early to mid eighties. But one of the things that, that um, another sort of consistent theme that I've got 
in terms of feedback from the book is that a lot of um, people have said to me, ah, you know, Algin was a better general manager than what I thought, and 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 I'm I'm happy that if that comes across to people because I feel like um, there's only so much you can do as a general manager, and and, and if you look at any franchise, you take the most successful or you take the least successful or middle of the road franchise, you look at the way that they assemble a team, there's always a degree of hit and miss. I mean, you know, with drafts, you know, sometimes you get it right, sometimes you get it wrong. Um, and and there there is sort of things you can do to improve your, your chances of doing well, but there is also a degree of luck to some of these things. Um but I think that if you look at it over the years, Aldrin was able to put together um, talented rosters that then there was a chance to sort of build a successful team out of it. But there was never an opportunity for those teams to stay together for an extended period of time and grow together and do some tinkering. I mean, that, 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 that sort of hypothetical team that I, I list, I mean, it, does, it, is, it is quite heavy in sort of, um, power forwards and shooting guards, and it doesn't really have a, a true point guard. And but I mean, like obviously, if you had that team, then you could trade some pieces and 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 and, and you know whatever to to um, make it work. But there was never a period of time where um, uh, they were able to keep a team together for long enough to have that happen. And I don't think that that's a reflection on the front office. I think that's a reflection on the management of the team. Could you pick out a, the worst uh, deal out of all these really horrendous deals on the Clippers? Because, you know, I, I read most of them and I'm just kind of like, wow, that really happened where uh, Tom Chambers, Ricky Pierce, and Craig Hodges got, all got traded for, you know, peanuts, basically. So, what would be your pick for that? Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. Um, look... I mean, I mean, it's hard. You know what? That's really hard to say because, again, we're using sort of hindsight to to evaluate it. And it's, I mean, look, I, I guess trading away Hodges and and Ricky Pierce and Terry Cummings for Marcus Johnson and then you know two older players that were at the end of their careers was was in hindsight a bad trade. But I mean, you have to remember that at the time Marcus Johnson was regarded as one of the best players in the league. And this was him coming home to Los Angeles, and him and Bill Walton had a connection, and and I could I could see how you would make that deal, um, you know, trading away Byron Scott for Norm Nixon in hindsight wasn't a good move, right? But again, you know, at the time, you know, you could see that that um, you know Norm Nixon was was one of the league's premier point guards, and you know they probably felt that they needed um, they needed that leadership, and and no one really knew who how good Byron Scott was going to be. Um, picking out a worse trade is... I, I, I've, thought, I, I've thought about the opposite. I've thought about what, what's been their best trade that they've made, but I've, I've never actually sat down and tried to sort of work out what was the worst, <laughs> the worst transaction they made. I mean, yeah, it would be, I, I'd be really hard. If I picked one now, Ray, I'd probably just be making one up and then I'd go back later and say, well, there's three right. more that I didn't even think of. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, for all the, the fans out there that, that don't know, um, I think what Nick has done very well is that uh, there's some Facebook groups that are specific for Clipper fans that he sort of teased certain parts of the book. And while there's a ton of great stories within this, um, I mean, some of them come to mind, like uh, 
uh, Bernard Benjamin showing up with two two left shoes and not being able to play uh, essentially things things like of that nature. So, uh, do you have a specific story that you um, found particularly hilarious or one that you enjoyed? <laughs> um. <laughs> Gee, again, there's there's a, there's a lot. I mean, there's, and there's a few that didn't make it into the book. But um, look, Benoit Benjamin was a was a sort of constant source of, of amazement. Um, um, you know, like the story about you know that story about turning up with the two left shoes. I, I sort of found that funny as well because I was thinking, I was trying to work out how that would have worked in in reality because you know nowadays if a player did turn up with two left shoes. I mean, they'd be, at the, they'd be at the arena two hours before the game. Like, surely they could send some underling back to the hotel to get a right a right shoe. I, I don't know whether... I, I was thinking about that story and thinking... I don't know whether, in hindsight, maybe they were trying to make a point by get, making him sit out that game and saying, you know, like, you need to be more professional in your approach. Um, and I also wondered about that story. Like, if that had happened to a more experienced player or a more well-respected player, would that have been leaked to the media, that story? Or, or you know, because, I mean, like, I guess if you're a basketball player with a whole bunch of shoes in your hotel room, I guess it is possible to pick up... Well, is it? I don't know. Um, so, most hilarious story. Gee, that's a good question as well. Um, I, like, you know what I, I like the story about Bonite Benjamin walking out on the team... Um, and saying he was going to go to Italy, and, and saying that's it, you know, like you know, you guys don't want to pay me because you know he he got to the end of his, I think he was four years in at the time, and he had sort of a good month at the end of the season and played really well, and then he was demanding this, you know, huge contract, you know, to be to be paid as if he was a franchise player, and and um and and the Clippers were just saying no, we're not gonna like we'll give you a one year deal or a two year deal or we'll give you a deal but needs to have a whole lot of incentive clauses, you know, with our weight related or performance based incentive clauses, and they were of the mindset like we're not gonna pay you a huge sum of money in a guaranteed contract and just rely on you being professional and turning up in shape and doing the right thing because we've just lived through four years of you doing the opposite to us. And so, and so Benoit's um, um, negotiating strategy was, well, I'm leaving, I'm going to go play. And he obviously couldn't play anywhere else in the NBA because the Clippers had his rights. So he said, I'm going to go to Italy. <laughs> so he had a press conference to announce that he was going to play in Italy and he turned up 45 minutes late for his own press conference to announce that he was leaving. Um, which you know I thought was really funny, and then and then he went to Italy, you know, and and then 48 hours later he was back at LAX, and 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 he turned back up saying, oh yeah, things didn't work out. So again, looking back at uh, that um, horrendous, horrendous um, luck by the Clippers, um, which story you, you that you wish the most that would have been that would have turned out um, that you would have liked to have turned out great. Because there was a lot of injuries, like Derek Smith and uh, obviously Benoit Benjamin with his, um, you know, being lackadaisical, uh, uh, Quentin Daly, Danny Manning, lots of injuries to stars. Like, which one do you wish to turn out the, the greatest for you? Um, you I think um, I, th- I have I have had I have thought about this a bit. I, I think that um, I think that if Bill Walton had of um, been healthy, I think that would have been um, really beneficial for the franchise, but I also think it would have been beneficial for the NBA. I, I think that if Bill Walton is healthy, 
Um, that then that that deal to sign Bill Walton for a huge contract is is looked back on as being a really good deal. And I mean, I think the team probably still plays in San Diego today. Uh, I think that um, you know one of the one of the reasons why the, the Donald Sterling was able to buy the team was because Irv Levin, who was the owner before Donald Sterling, you know, had, was not coping very well with the fact that the team was unsuccessful. And, and I mean, I think that if, if, at, if at that time, if they were a playoff team or, you know, a championship team or a team that was playing in the finals and Walton was playing well, um, I, I, I think that, you know, in an alternate universe, maybe he doesn't sell the team. And and once the team, um, once the Clippers had sort of established themselves in San Diego over you know six, seven, eight years, uh, I, I don't think that they would have moved. I mean, I don't, if they hadn't have sold the team to Don Sterling, the, the, the Clippers don't end up in LA. I mean, the only reason why they they went to LA was because Sterling just moved them there without permission. I don't think any other owner would have even tried that. So I, I think that the most interesting sort of um, what if. Um, and and the would be would be Bill Walton, um, but it's a very big if, isn't it? Because if you look at Bill's career, he spent the majority of his professional career battling with really serious injuries. Yeah. Sure. All right. So if we fast forward a little bit to the present day, um, as we record this, we had just found out um, yesterday or the day before, I believe that Chris Paul will be out for six to eight weeks with a torn leg. <laughs> so it sort of feels like, the, like history just keeps on repeating itself. And, like, uh, me personally, I don't like to believe in the curse. This book is something that I believe strongly in. But um, when it comes to an actual curse, is that what are your, your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've had... Um, uh, uh, look, I don't, I'm not really a superstitious person by nature, Um and um, the, the, the choice of the title for the book was I tried to sort of think what was the best way of um, sort of capturing what the fans had lived through for the last 38 years. That, that's, that's how I chose the title. Um, I, and, 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 and I mean, like, you know, if you think now, if you th- even just think, if you just think, even if you think just to the Steve Barmer era of, of all the different sort of calamities that have happened in that time, um, it's hard. It's hard not to feel like, you know, that the 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 odds are stacked against you. Um, and you know, this Chris Paul injury is just the latest. I mean, if you go back, you know, two weeks before that, Blake Blake's injured all of a sudden, and you know, the team starts off, you know, with the best record in the league, and and then all of a sudden, you know, your two best players are both injured, with you know, not not season-ending injuries, but but rel- that sort of mid-level, relatively serious injuries, where there's where there's considerable time spent on the sideline, all of a sudden your playoff seeding now is dropping from being a, a number one or number two seed in the West to being a three, four. You know, Utah's coming up pretty fast behind to be. So it, it's it's um it, it's kind of like if you're at the casino and, and and you and you have you you know you're watching roulette and there's 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 seven black numbers in a row and then an eighth comes up and a ninth comes up and a tenth comes up i mean at some point you sort of say what well, we have to get a red at some point here and i know that each roll is independent or each spin is independent of the previous one but you know you have so much bad luck in a row um it's 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 hard to sort of escape that feeling that there's something working against you mm-hmm. 
Can I make a suggestion of what book you should write next if you're going to write another book? What about the Timberwolves? They're, they haven't made the playoffs since 2004, I believe, and they've been finally bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and, and again, I mean, if you think about Minnesota, they've had a number of really interesting um, people pass through there as coaches, as players, and, you know, if, if you're outside of that Minnesota market and you're not a huge NBA fan, you'd probably be, you'd be unaware of a lot of the storylines that go there. It would be a great, that'd be a great franchise to write about. Yeah, so, um, if the Clippers win the title, would you write a sequel to this? Um... Yeah, I mean, there's a potential. I mean, there's a potential to do that. There's there's a potential to to like do a second edition and, and to and to you know update it and to include a, a a new. You know, I mean, my hope would be my hope at the start of this season. My hope remains now that they win it this year. Um, mm-hmm. um, it's 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 looking less likely at the moment. But I mean, you know, it's interesting. The only thing the only thing that we've sort of learnt in the last few months is that. You know, if both Blake and Chris are injured at the same time, that the Clippers aren't, a, aren't one of the NBA's elite teams with, with you know, DeAndre and, and JJ Redick as, as the two best players. Well, you know, that's not really surprising. I mean, if any, if any team lost their, their, their best two players, that would happen. I mean, Chris is, Chris is slated to be back, say, late February early March, I mean, by that time, you've still got six weeks before the playoffs come for, for, you know, Blake and Chris to be back. Now, if they don't have any more injury troubles between now and the end of the season, I mean, there, there could be a, you could have a, you could have a scenario where you say that the, they're going to have fresher legs for having not gone through the grind of an 82-game season. And also, I mean, some of these other players are going to step up and play bigger roles in the interim while Blake and Chris are out, and that might serve them well come playoff time so I, I still think I still think that if you look at if you look at sort of the the roster at full strength, I, I would rate the Clippers as one of the league's probably four or five teams that have a legitimate shot to win it all. I mean, I would love nothing more than them for them to win it all this year, and then yeah, maybe we re-release it with a second edition and and um and do a final chapter that it would be the, really the perfect ending to the narrative would be for the team to to finally break through and to win that championship. Right. So this book, this writing this book, has basically turned into a Clippers fan, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt that I, you know, you can't. I mean, you can't help. And that's the thing. I mean, I guess also that, like, like I said earlier, that there's a lot of, um, you know, in, in the NBA, there's a lot of sort of um, turnover of players and coaches and whatever. But one thing I, I feel I feel really strongly linked with now is the, is Clipper fans. I, I really feel that I really feel sort of and. And since the book's been released, you know, the, the, one of the things that's been really great for me is, is coming into contact with fans, um, mm-hmm. you know, who, who've been with the team for a long time, you know, people who've been following the team since the, the middle of the 80s, you know, the, the early 90s, and who've been, who've been following the team intensely from that period of time. And, you know, the, you see those people that are, like, you know, real, real basketball lovers, and you think that, they just want their their turn in the sun. They want their their opportunity to sort of um, to enjoy a championship, um, and it, it's impossible not to pull for the team um, in in that circumstance. Right. Yeah. I I've known Peter for a long, long time now, and he's been a fan of the Clippers since what 1990. Yeah, ever since the the sports arena. So it's good to. <laughs> No, it's like it's a great thing for fans, and you know, as a fan to tell you, Nick, I think this is uh, something that 
is really appreciated by, by Clipper fans because it goes through the entire history. And on top of that, he even got it to mention uh, our good friend Keith Clawson there. So I, I can't, <laughs> can't have a book about the Clippers history without him. So. Right, yeah. Yeah, so um, go ahead and uh, plug your book and plug whatever else you have, social media, whatever else you need to plug. Okay, so the book's, um, the book's called The Curse, The Colorful and Chaotic History of the LA Clippers, and um, it's available on Amazon. Um, it's also available, if you go to my website, um, which is clippercurse.com, uh, there's a blog up there and there's a whole bunch of other things, and there's a link there. You can buy it from my own personal store as well. Um, my Twitter handle is at mminas8, M-I-N-A-S-8, and um, you can also find me on um, Instagram at at clippercurse. And we, that's where we do postings. Um, so we, at the moment we're doing sort of things about like on this day in Clipper history and looking at sort of the, the history of the franchise, you know, pictorially, but also like looking at little facts about, um, you know, different players. We're actually going to be doing one uh, tomorrow, so mm-hmm. yeah. So that's that's really cool. So thanks again for the conversation. Thanks again for um letting us into the vast history of the Clipper curse. We'll do this again sometime soon, Nick. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, guys. Hashtag blame Ray Ray. Molded.